We want to give a shout out to uh, the Edgewood campus. We want to welcome you guys. Uh, we are so grateful for all that God is beginning to do, not only across uh, Stone Point, but also in Edgewood. Matter of fact, uh, Edgewood's launch last week uh, encompassed a larger launch than the Wills Point campus did almost five years ago. And so you guys rock, and we want to just give you a shout out. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, whether you're in Edgewood or here in Wills Point, uh, one of the encouraging, uh, encouraging things that we ought to be doing is inviting other people. And so I know that it's easy to get pretty inconsistent about that. I know that it's easy to think, well, we've invited them before. But I'll tell you, it's, it's not uncommon to see people that you've invited for a year, year and a half, two years, sometimes four years to finally make their way uh, to the church and to be a part of what God is doing here. And so I just encourage you, please continue to invite, continue to welcome people, whether you're here or in Edgewood. Uh, we are in a series called Regeneration. We started that last week. And you may be wondering what regeneration is. And uh, if you're common to Stone Point, you know that that's a part of what we have weekly here at Stone Point, because regeneration is a ministry that is for people who would say their lives are broken. And oftentimes we think, well, regeneration's great. And, and we really encourage that ministry as churchgoers. We love the fact that we are a place where people who are broken and their lives are unmanageable can come. But we oftentimes think, but that's not for me. And so last week we talked about overcoming a couple of things. One, overcoming the idea that this series is not for you. Because ideally, if you are a sinner in here, this series is for you and for all of us. And I don't know uh, if there's anyone in here, actually I do know, there's no one in here that's exempt from being a sinner. We're all sinners. And so this sermon series is for everyone. The other thing that we talked about that you have to overcome during the next few weeks is that what? that the idea of regeneration being a program for someone else is not really true. That regeneration is not a ministry. But actually, let me just go ahead and put it out there to you today. I would say that regeneration is not a ministry at all, but regeneration is a reminder every day of the reconciliation happening between you and God. Matter of fact, every one of us in this room are in recovery. Every one of us, every one of us who have chosen to put our faith in Jesus Christ has begun a process of recovery, knowing that our hearts were once far from him, once we lived in darkness, but now we've been brought into his marvelous light. Matter of fact, uh, Titus chapter 3, um, Paul speaks of, of really what generations should look like and, and what recovery in our lives should look like. And in verse 3, it says, for we also once were foolish ourselves. Like there was a day that you and I, apart from God, were fools. Matter of fact, one of the famous scriptures that you uh, have heard me say before is Proverbs 26, 11. And that is what? A dog returns to his vomit. Yes? I actually got to see that a couple of times this last week with our own dog disgusting. And every time you look at him, you go, oh no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. And just as that dog, Carl, as my daughter says, Carl, as Carl goes to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. 
A fool continues to do the same things over and over again, assuming that one time it may actually end up differently. But the bottom line is when our lives are wrapped up in foolish decisions, when our lives are wrapped up in our own desires and our own flesh and our own self-making, we continually repeat our folly. We continually see our lives end in demise. We continue to see our hearts separated from God in darkness. And so he says, we were all, every one of us, once fools. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you would stand in your life and declare, my name is Brandon. My name is Steve. My name is Mark, and I'm alive in Christ. You have to remember that you're, you were once walking in foolish ways. And that's what Paul writes. He says, you were once walking as a fool. You were disobedient. You were deceived. You were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Isn't that what Jennifer revealed? Jennifer said, I, I began a relationship with my husband that started with lust and pleasure. We spend our life in malice, envy, hateful, and even hating one another. You wonder why our world is the way it is? It's not because God doesn't love a broken world. It's because of our foolish, deceptive, and deceitful hearts. It's because when you put a thorn bush, Proverbs 26, in the hand of a fool, he's going to do much damage. Yes? If you put a gun in the hand of a fool, he's going to do much damage. So the, the, the absence of guns is not our issue. The absence of guns, the absence of knives, the absence of thorn bushes is not our issue. It's that those things end up in the lives of fools. And as those things end up in the lives of fools, we have to realize and understand that we are hateful and we hate one another. And that happens, guess what? You have chaos, you have despair, you have brokenness, you have disorder. And we don't serve a God of disorder, but we see, we see and we serve a God of order. We see and save a God that wants a relationship with us, even those who are brokenhearted. Yes? Verse four, though, it says, but when the kindness of God, here it is, this is recovery. You were once broken, you were once far off, but when what the kindness of God, our Savior, and, and his love for mankind appeared, you began to see change. He saves us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, so that being justified by his grace, we would have made heirs, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you see that? He goes, but once you were broken, once you were far off, but because of Jesus Christ, because of his mercy, because he is rich in goodness, he says, you can have recovery, you can have reconciliation, you can have regeneration. And there, here's what it is. Get this, on this day that we call Sanctity of Life Sunday, you can have rebirth. And listen, here's the greatest tragedy in the world, is that babies don't even get to experience the goodness of God. And though he inhabits them, I believe wholeheartedly the scripture would say that, wouldn't it have been awesome for them to have life and then not only life, but also rebirth to experience God and his goodness. And hey, aren't they experiencing God and his goodness now? Yes. But we, we need God. 
We need his hope in the midst of a broken world. We need regeneration, reconciliation, and here's the bottom line. You and I, every single one of us that's breathing in this room or in the middle school gym in Edgewood, Texas, we all need recovery. We all need a God to restore what's been broken, right? And so how does that take place? We said last week that it starts when you and I realize that we're poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because they'll see God. And you don't see God until you get to the point where you're on your back and you're having to look up towards him. And that happens when you're poor in spirit. It happens when you realize that I'm broken, and it's not simply just realizing, it's not just conspiring it in your mind, but it's speaking with your mouth. It's admitting that my life is unmanageable, that in my own flesh, I'm unruly, that I've been deceived, that I continue to do the things that I want to do. I find myself seeking after lust and pleasure. I envy other people. I hate other people. I have broken relationships all because of the chaos in my life. And you would say, I admit that my life is unmanageable, that in my own power, I fall short of the glory of God. And that's when recovery can begin to take place, when you admit it. And then as you admit it, what do you do? You believe. You believe that you can no longer drive the will of your life. You literally move from presidential in the seat of the driver's seat to residential. You take a back seat to God and say, I know my life is broken. I know I can't, but I believe that there is a God who can. And you would put your hope, you would put your desire in what? A God who can save us. Get this, as Titus said, not on the basis of deeds that you have done. Understand? Yes? Recovery never takes place on the basis of what you have done or what you will do or what you think you one day can do. You cannot regenerate you. You don't have the power to regenerate. Why did Jesus take water and turn it into wine? He did it to prove one point. That is that he can recreate anything in an instant. And because he's the creator, as Colossians 1 says, he can recreate at any point in time. And so if regeneration takes place, he has to take an unmanageable life, broken, confused, full of heartache and pain. And he has to bring breath into that life. And he has to begin regenerating it. Why? Because God can. So in essence, you can't, but God can. That's when recovery begins to take place. And as you admit and believe, it moves you to trust. And trust is the hardest thing for us. But we talked about it. If we're going to experience God in our lives, we've got to trust him. Why? Because if you do not trust Jesus Christ, knowing that the basis of your deeds fall short, but it's in him and his righteousness that generation, the washing, the renewal of regeneration takes place. You cannot move forward in your recovery. Get this. Listen, recovery in Christ, for all of us in here, whether you're in a step program, whether you come on Monday nights, for all of us in this room, it stops at step three if you don't trust. Why? Because you could say, my life is unmanageable, and you could say, but I believe that there's a God, I believe there's a higher power, as Alcoholics Anonymous says. But just because you believe in a higher power doesn't mean anything. Matter of fact, Jesus declares in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I'm the way, the, 
the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Meaning that if you want truth, if you want to know the difference between good and evil, you want to see it reconciled in your life, he says Jesus Christ is the answer. If you want to know the way, that means the way of understanding, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that no longer would you, what, lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him that he may make your path straight. Jesus says, I'm the way. Yes? He says, I'm the light. I'm life. I bring hope. I breathe into people. And so get this. It's one thing to say my life is broken. It's yet another thing to believe that there's a God who can do something. But the question is, and this is the question that all of us have to answer, and I think this is the question that differentiates you from many people, is have you ever truly trusted in Jesus Christ? Because see, Jennifer declared to you this morning, she said, I believed in God. Did you hear that? I believed it. She grew up. I remember her being in our student ministry when she was young. I know Jennifer. I've known her. But the bottom line is her life was unmanageable. And it didn't matter that she had a belief system that covered it up for years. The bottom line is her heart had never trusted. And where she is today is only because of what Christ had done for her that she finally experienced the renewal and the regeneration of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Because apart from that, she would still be doing what? Dropping into a church here and there to make amends, to ask for some sort of temporary forgiveness plan, and then she would continue to hop around doing what she's always done to cope. She'll always take her cough medicine, but she'd never meet the great physician. And so when you trust, when you go all in, it's meeting the great physician. And when you meet the great physician, then guess what? Things begin to be unearthed. And one of the greatest things is, is that you begin to move on to another step. And here's what happens. When you come face to face with a holy God, you discover how messy your life really was. And though it was messy, there's hope, isn't there? Like there's more to come. Like God is good. He's a God of refuge. He's a God of peace. He doesn't want chaos in your life. But here's what he does. He takes the chaos and he begins to move it up. There's a refining process that takes place. And it's called inventory. You have to begin to inventory your life. And what's interesting is this. Inventory is incredibly difficult. It's incredibly difficult. Why? Because it reminds you of how broken your life is. And for some people, as you trust God, one of the greatest challenges to you moving on in your faith is dealing with what is in your past. Because there are many things in our past that we don't want to deal with. There's many things in our past that we have done to people. There are many things in our past Decisions that we made that we don't want anyone to know about. And do you know what's so incredible about Jennifer and her story? Because she would even have the courage to share it. That she would even come before a group of people, literally 800 to 1,000 people this weekend across two campuses, and declare, my life was not only broken, but in the midst of my brokenness, I made decisions that impacted people's lives. And as she began to do inventory, and even as she continues to do inventory, the greatest prayer she could pray is that of one that David would pray in Psalm 51.6. And, and it simply is, 
Behold, Lord, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. God, you want me to be healthy from the inside out. Interesting enough, God doesn't want you to appear healthy and be a disaster in the midst of your inventory. Our churches are full of people who look okay on the outside, but inwardly they are wasting away. They are like whitewashed tombs, Matthew 23, but what? Yet they are like dead men's bones inside. Remind you of someone? It's the Pharisee. It's the wise man. It's the one who refuses to say, God, you're the only one that can manage this brokenness. And we live in a day and age right now that we, we would rather clean ourselves up and say everything's okay rather than trust God and allow him to do an inventory that actually brings ministry and reconciliation to other people. But that's what God desires. He desires for us to do an inventory. Matter of fact, David continues on. He says, God, you delight in truth in the secret heart. Like you delight to see me. Look what he says in 10 through 13. This is a confession after his, his ordeal with a lady named Bathsheba. Look what he says. Create in me, oh God, a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. Like that's what some of us in here need to be restored to the joy of our salvation. We need to declare today that Lord, as I do an inventory of where I am, as I admit to you to come in, evade me, that God, I would just be honest with you and declare that I am not where I need to be. But Lord, would you create in me a clean heart, a steadfast spirit? Would you return to me the joy of your salvation? Would you sustain me with a willing spirit? Some of you, literally, you just need a willing spirit. Hey, can you, can you serve? Can you help in this place of ministry? Oh, yeah. No, it's a lack of willing spirit. Because here's the deal. If God has created you a clean heart, he's returned to you the joy of your salvation, you cannot help but have a willing spirit to what? Press on for the cause of Christ, to spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And so let me explain something to you real quickly. Your lack of volunteerism in the church is a declaration of the heart. You need to think about that. It's not because you, you go, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to get to the, par- the peer pressure of our staff and leadership team. No, no, no. It's a declaration of the heart. Listen to me. Why? Because people who have a willing spirit, people who know the depths that they've come from in Christ, that they've experienced regeneration and renewal, they say, I've got to share what God's done with other people. And listen, you can share that by making a cup of coffee. You can share that uh, whether you serve in kids ministry or student ministry or in parking. I love our parking team. Why? Because here on the Wills Point campus, it's crazy chaos. (laughs) Edgewood, like y'all have this perfect world out there, concrete and asphalt. We dream of such things here, right? (laughs) But you parkers are the You're the first friendly face that someone sees. And so get this, when they come to Stone Point, if you're parking, if you're greeting, the greatest thing you should establish right off the bat before they ever hear an instrument, before they ever hear a a song sung, before they ever hear a word taught or preached, is there's something different here because God is renewing people and they're declaring it through their inventory. And that's what the church should be about. The bottom line is it starts with inventory. And then he says, verse 13, David says, after you've given me a willing spirit, he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways. Do you see that? 
I'll teach people your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Church, why do we exist? It's not merely to be comfortable or sit in a seat. I'll be honest with you. If that's your main goal, we really need you to consider something different. Why? Because there's other people who need hope and reconciliation. One of the, the things that I got back from an email survey this week is that it just seemed too crowded. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you're not going to allow God to do an inventory in your life that teaches sinners that they need repentance, then we're missing it. The church is about doing an inventory so that we can share our brokenness that we can share the, the places in our lives where our, our lives were out of control and unmanageable, that there, was, that there was pain and disorder and chaos so that people can see the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen until we allow God to search us. In Psalm 139, we read the scripture to you earlier in, in verse 23. Listen to what it says. It just says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. God, God I want to invite you in to really take a look at my heart. God, I want you to really take a look at where I am in my life. And God, show me where I fall short. Show me where you want to grow me. God, remind me of your grace. Re return to me the joy of your salvation. God, don't let me ever forget that I needed hope and light as much as anyone else in this world. Understand? Because here's the deal. Why do we need you to do that? Why do we need you to have an inventory? Because here's the deal. And you've experienced hurt people hurt people. If people don't do an inventory in their life, then they continue the same repetition and cycle that they've always seen. And, and their hurts, they bubble over. Why? Because they, they hurt people. And so hurt people bring the, the, the exact things that God says I'm not about. They bring darkness. They bring disorder. They bring chaos. They bring envy and hatefulness. They say malicious things. They do malicious things. Why? Because they are hurt and hurt people bite other people. Hurt sheep hurt the herd. So we need people to do an inventory. That's a part of your recovery. Why? Because you're like a bomb, a ticking bomb that could go off at any time moment. I don't know if you know much about World War II, but in World War II, France, America, and all their allies dropped thousands of bombs in Germany. It's actually said that one in eight of those bombs were never detonated. They, they didn't go off upon hitting the ground. But over the years, here's what's happened. They ha have just allowed soil to, to over, overtake them, and, and they've just been deep in the earth. And in the last five, six, seven years, and even over the decades, they've begun to unearth these bombs. Matter of fact, in 2011, there was one in Koblenz, Germany, that they saw during a downtime in the river, of uh, the, the Rhine River, they saw that there were a couple of bombs there. There, there was one uh, from France. There was another one from America. The one, I believe, from the French weighed about two tons. Matter of fact, we're going to show you a picture of it right there. And they're unearthing that one. There's one right next to it 
that's pretty close that they drug up, that was actually from America, and that was a more powerful bomb. But what you've seen is over the last handful of years is that these bombs have been uncovered, and they have to send people in to undetonate, I mean, to, to take the detonation away from them. And in 2011, they, or I believe it's 2010, they sent a group of three people in to, to disarm it and explode and killed three people. Uh, in 2014, January of 2014, two years ago, they were unearthing and excavating for a new restaurant and some new other facilities, and a dozer man actually hit a bomb, and it blew up and killed him. In this instance, in 2011, in Rhine, that River of Rhine in Koblenz, Germany, they had to remove 45,000 people from their homes and from their businesses, almost half of Koblenz, Germany, just to deal with this bomb. And you go, well, what is your point? Well, here's the bottom line is, is that when we don't deal with our inventory, it's like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. They're there. And not only are they there, they've been there for years. And, and what happens is, is over the years, things just build up on top of them and you can't see them anymore. We, do we develop coping mechanisms? We develop strategies to overcome them. We oftentimes even put them on our mind. Why? Because to bring up such things... It's just too difficult, too hard, which is why if you don't trust God, the spirit can't search you. That trust, that step three is so important. Why? Because if you don't give your broken life to a God who can manage it, then you'll never invite him in to search the deepest parts. But as he begins to search the deepest parts, as, as he begins to excavate, he begins to what? take those ticking time bombs and he removes the detonator. Here's the tragedy. There's many of us sitting in this room that what we've done is instead of scraping the foundation and instead of looking for time bombs, we've built our marriages on that, that foundation. Bombs sitting underneath. We've, we've built relationships on it. We have brought kids into the world and we're teaching them the same coping mechanisms that we've been using for decades. And it's all because we, uh, we, we cannot, we cannot in our fear, in, in our anxiety, in, in our pain, we cannot allow God to search us and know us. But that's so important in recovery. Why? Because it's allowing God to take every instance of impurity and begin to redeem it and reveal it. And as he redeems it and reveals it, I think the prayer is just like David. And, and what is that? It, it's that I would teach transgressors your ways, that sinners would come to know you as a result of me unearthing my pain. Understand? Do you know why I love the Bible? The Bible is full of stories like you and I. People that we look, like, look to, we think they're men and women of faith, but the bottom line is their lives were broken and unmanageable. And because of God's inventory in their life, he allowed us to see it in his word. We were, we were able to see Moses and his mistakes. The times where he said, no, 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 I can't do it. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a good speaker. I, I can't go to Pharaoh. Yes, you can. Why? Because God is with you. Can you think of all, all the times that Moses failed as a leader? All the times where he thought like, he, he felt like giving up. Can you imagine what it was like to, to be Hosea and to be faithful in the midst of his wife's adultery? Gomer kept going to other men, and yet he presses on it. And it's even revealed to us that their struggle was like that of Israel, unfaithfulness. Can you imagine that, what it's like to see David and, and this king 
to have an affair, not only to have an affair, but to try to cover it up. Instead of dealing with the inventory initially, he covers it up. And what's he do? He even murders her husband. Isn't it comforting that God can rescue and allow inventory to happen in the most broken people? Yes. And as that happens, it brings about confession. Understand? That was David's heart. It it, it began to bring about confession. As God searched him, he began to what? Confess it. And so what are we to do? Like in our recovery process, what are we to do? Here's the deal. You can't do recovery alone. The scriptures do not intend for you and I to do recovery alone. Matter of fact, that's why we believe here at Stone Point that some of the healthiest people are the people that attend regeneration on Monday nights. Why? Because when they sit in groups, they overwhelm each other. Understand? Why? Because they all know we're jacked up. Our lives are broken and unmanageable. But here's the deal. They've gotten to the point where there's freedom in admitting it. And it doesn't matter what you have on them. It doesn't matter what you may say about them. They would say, I declare that's true. I agree with you. I I once was lost, but now I'm found. And they begin to unearth and uncover. We, however, have been raised in churches and have been taught that we should admit, believe, and trust in God. And at that point, it kind of stops. Don't get me wrong. We're okay with confessing our sins. It kind of goes like this. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this food. Lord, uh, we're all sinners, and we just ask that you would forgive us. Amen. And that's about the extent of our inventory and confession for many of us in this room. It's some general prayer that we pray. And the bottom line is God doesn't want that. He wants us to allow him to search us, to know us, to bring about any iniquity in us that's not of him and to begin to confess that. And what do we do? We do just as one, or 1 John 1 says. Look at 6. Um, it says, if we have fellowship with him, meaning God, while we are in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, what? Cleanses us from all sin. He goes, you can claim that you walk in fellowship with God and live in darkness. He goes, there's no such thing. He goes, when you walk with God, you live in light. And you know what light does? Light exposes the dark places. That's the point of inventory and confession. It's inviting light in to areas of your life that have been hidden and dark for so many years. Areas where you felt like it would be better to be chained rather than let someone know I'm dealing with this. But that's actually different than what scripture says. Scripture says, put some light on it. Why? Because Jesus Christ didn't come to simply redeem the areas that you thought were okay. He came to redeem all of it. Muck and mire and shame. Yes, even those things that were in the deep, dark places. And then he says in verse eight, I don't think many of us would say this, but he says, if we we say we have no sin, then what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What, What that really means is if you say that there's not some deep, dark, hidden secrets, you're a liar. Because there are deep, deep, dark, hidden secrets in our lives until we do an inventory and begin to confess those to other people. Yes? But look this. If we confess, verse 9, I love this. He is faithful and he is righteous, right? And he's going to what? Forgive us of all, what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the hope of the gospel, my friends, right there. As we allow inventory and confession, it brings hope and healing. Matter of fact, James 5, 16, 
Look at this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Yes? And so should we confess to other people? Yes. Who should we confess to? It says a righteous man. Do you know who I confess to? I'm going to confess to people who understand God's grace first and foremost. Why? Because when I confess to them, they're not super shocked. Understand? Right? The super shocked people are the people who would say, my life is okay. And externally, they look okay, but inside, they're like dead men's bones. It's wasting away. But people who constantly have to do an inventory and confession are healthy people. Why? It's because they know that their hearts are prone to leave the God they love. And as our hearts are prone to leave the God we love, but we are okay with doing an inventory, we are okay with confessing. And we confess to righteous people that we trust, right? Some of us, we go, no, no, I don't want to confess anything to anyone. Why? Because I can't trust. But get this, as a part of trusting God, you begin to trust men and women. Why? Because he says, there you find healing. Understand? Can God heal you instantly? Absolutely. But do you know where you find free freedom? When literally the truth will set you free is when you're able to say, here's where I am. This is what God has done. This is what I'm ashamed of. But because of what God has done, the healing that he's brought, I'm no longer ashamed, but I'm going to use this to point people towards God. That's the story of reconciliation. That's regeneration. That's recovery, my friends. Regardless if you're going through a step program or not, that's recovery. And then get this, as you begin to unearth that stuff, as you begin to see that, uh, that inventory, as you begin to see that confession take place in your life, then guess what? It brings you to a place where you fall on your knees in repentance. And you go, God, here I am. God, here I am. I'm broken. I'm far from you. And you begin to entirely leave the patterns of this world that you're no longer conformed to those, but you're transformed by God through the renewing of your mind. Yes? And so that's it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it literally says, Paul says to Timothy, hey, you should what? Flee your youthful passions, right? That you should just flee those lusts, that, uh, the, the ability to pursue righteousness to where we go, that you would pursue faith and love and peace, Right? That's the idea with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. That's the idea. That's what we should be looking for. So to flee from what you used to live in and what? Pursue God. Pursue it with other people. Desire his peace. Desire his reconciliation. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 and 9 says this, but do not let the what? This one fact escape your mind. Take notice of this, beloved. Don't forget this. And this is good for all of us. Look at this. That with the, the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like one day. Like, we don't have a concept of God and his timing. Understand? But the Lord is not slow about his promise. See, many of us, we go, God, why would you continue to let me live in the midst of this inventory? Why would you let me continue to live in this world that's so broken? God, why have you, why have you not come back? Why are you not, why are you postponing this? God, why are you waiting so long? And here's why. And this is why you and I need to be about the business of keeping on, keeping on. So why we need to be about the business of ministry and reconciliation, spurring on each other towards love and good deeds. Why? Because he says, the Lord's not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you. Not wishing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Understand? 
That's why we don't go just drop a bomb in the Middle East. Why? Because God, this doesn't make sense to me, but you're the master of it all. And God, I pray that you would prolong your judgment on this place so that we could preach to one more person. So that I could show one more person what you have done in my life. Understand? And I'll tell you, in this room right now, I think there's many of us that if we search our inventory, we don't have to search very long before we get to the very first bomb, right? And there's just a myriad of bombs to follow. And there are many decisions that we've made. And then not only the decisions that, that we made or the things that have been done to us, but think of all the things that we stacked on top of them as coping mechanisms. All the things that we did trying to cover up the hurt and the pain. And so as we begin to do that inventory, as we be begin to allow that confession and that repentance to take place in our life, we go, God, it's, this is too hard. It's too hard. But here's, the, here's my, I, I guess my challenge, my plea as I wrap up. What if you spend as much energy in pursuing God through confession and repentance and reconciliation as you have all these years of covering up. I mean, honestly, what would it look like? All the years that you turned to coping mechanisms that you would turn to God and you'd give him as much time, as much. Not, I'm not asking for more at this point, but just give him as much time as you've given yourself to cover it up, to bring healing. And I'll tell you, I believe that God takes faithful people who sow seed and he brings about a harvest three, six, ten times. I think he'll multiply your time. I think he'll take you and begin to unearth, allow you to discover him in a fresh and new way. And, and he'll take the coping mechanisms. He'll take the time bombs. And he'll begin to, to remove them. He'll begin to allow you to experience healing and peace. And not only that, he'll remind you that recovery is good. Recovery is good. Recovery is good. And I'm not talking about just a Monday night recovery group, understand? But recovery doesn't have to take place just in a recovery ministry. Why? Because we're all in recovery. The thing is, though, many of us have stopped at step two. Some of us have stopped at step three. Some of us have stepped, skipped right over step four of inventory, and we think we're good. We're just gone to confessing and repenting. And so would you just allow God to use this to just begin to spur you on? I don't know what God wants to do with it, but I, I encourage you that you would just seek him and allow him to search you. Amen, Psalm 51. Let me pray for you, church. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you desire to have a relationship with us. And Father, I pray that you would speak so clearly to our lives, that you remind us of your grace, that you would manifest yourself in us in such a way that it would literally change our lives. And Father, for those of us in here that we have admitted our failures and that our lives are out of control, that we We've, we've believed in you. I pray that some would feel compelled today to trust you. For those who have trusted you, I pray that they would feel uh, just, um, 
that, that you want them to, to, to move forward uh, in inventory and confession and repentance. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would take us and that you would bring some freshness into our lives. Lord, as Psalm 51 says, that return to us the joy of your salvation. Father, we love you and we thank you for the church. In Jesus' name, amen.